Would you stand with us as we begin our service in prayer? Tim, may I prevail upon you to lead us? Will you take your red hymnal and turn to number 457, 457 in the red? Two seven in the red. 
Sure. Do you have a reason for this one this morning? Absolutely. Okay. Thank you. 327 in the room. <coughs> <coughs>
Our scripture reading for this morning is taken from the book of John, chapter 14, verses 1 through 14, page 1675 in your pew Bible, and when you come to that, please stand with us. Jesus and the disciples are in the upper room, and I think we can gather that he knew the anxiety that was in their hearts, and he, he comforts them. Chapter 14, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house, there are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you may also be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you would know my father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the father, and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you for such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the father. How can you say, show us the father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will even do greater things than these, because I am going to the Father, and I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Amen. You take your red hymnal once again and turn to number 585, 585. Thank you. 
Thank you. You may be seated. Our scripture text this morning in the Gospel of John, chapter 14. In our last study on the theme of living faith took us to the expression, Son of Man, those many sayings employed by Jesus of himself in the gospel accounts. While this title certainly teaches the humanity of Jesus, it was clear from our study that he distinguished himself as the Son of Man. That is, separate from sinners who might use the title to stress humility or simply as the personal pronoun I. We know this because as he used the title of himself, he brought in other thoughts that could never apply to mere men. For example, Jesus as the Son of Man has access to angels, he brought out. The Son of Man can approve or deny men. He can determine who enters the kingdom of God and who does not. Wow. He has authority to forgive sins. He is Lord of the Sabbath. He brings salvation to sinners comes from heaven as destined to judge the nations. Got me now? Can you hear it? Okay, good. We do, drew out a couple lessons. Number one, that Christ, as the Son of Man, has authority to reveal himself to men as he sees fit. This insight into his true identity is for him to decide, not you. And I know that's a hard pill for a lot of people to swallow. But they have never considered the sovereignty of Christ. We're not talking about a mere man. We're talking about a king, a sovereign, who came in the form of a man while here on earth. Didn't mean that he gave up his deity to do that. And that's what is missed by a lot of the authors. Secondly, we learn that glory in God's kingdom comes through suffering, and the cross is the triumph of Christ, not his defeat. 
I know that sounds really weird because we would think that if the authorities grabbed him and nailed him to a cross, hey, he lost. But he didn't lose because that's the very purpose for which he came to earth and he was fulfilling the Father's ordination for him. Thirdly, we learn that Christ was a king in his coming. He was a man in his suffering. He was God in his exaltation and return. And all men will give an account to him of what they have done with the group proof of his existence and his ministry. In today's study, I want to look at Christ as the revealer of God the Father. And as we come to our study, let's ask for the Lord's enablement. We're so thankful, Lord Jesus, that you want us to know about God, your Father, and our Creator and Lord of the universe. It's been the study of man through the centuries. But alas, men have gone so many different paths and forgot to look into the Holy Scriptures where they would have found God and they would have found you as his son to explain God. But no, they had to do their own thing. They had to invent God in their own image. And that is the reason we have such idolatry throughout the world. And even after all these centuries, Lord, uh, passing your... uh, toning work on the cross, your resurrection, your ascension, and so forth. Even after all of that, the world is still full of idolatry, worshiping of other things, anything, all things, except your son. So we ask, Lord, that you will bless us with the truth of your word, grant us an insight that the world does not have, and by it's by your it's by your intention we are beholden to you for what we know. And we thank you for that in Christ's name. Amen. We're looking today at the subject Christ as the revealer of God from John chapter fourteen. This text that I've chosen is really the synopsis or conclusion of many other sayings of Christ, which demonstrate for, from his own lips that he had come to earth to explain God to men. We're going to look at some of these other texts. But I want you to note, firstly, the words from Philip, one of Jesus' disciples. You'll find it in John 14 verse 9 and following. Jesus is addressing Philip. Philip, don't you know me? Don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you for such a long time? How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? 
The words I say to you are not just my own words. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. Now, Jesus here is not denying the Trinity of God. That God is one in essence, yes, but he exists in three distinct persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all having identical attributes, all having the same knowledge, all having the same power. That's where we get the idea of one God. But he is teaching that because of that identical nature, there's no difference in character, in thought, in teaching, or for that matter, in demonstration of power, alluded to in verse 11, where he says, or at least believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. In other words, if you don't believe my words, I have proof of who I am. Look at the miracles that have been done among you. No mere man could do those things. So there is perfect unity between God the Son and God the Father. And that's why he says the Father is living in him and is doing his work. God the Father's work through him. So in a very real sense, Philip's question revealed his ignorance of the oneness which exists within the Godhead. And it also showed that the disciples in general did not grasp the full significance of the one who stood among them and with whom they had now spent several years listening to his teachings observing his miracles, and so on. We learn that blindness, brethren, is sometimes not only for the unbelieving world, but for the unbelieving believers, as contrary as that may sound. What we know of Christ, we do not know simply by human intellect. No, by faith we know him, and faith has its roots in revelation, that is, what God has revealed of himself. This self-declosure is most important in coming to a true and full understanding of who and what Jesus is. And there were times when Jesus said to his disciples, O oh, you of little faith. A number of times. O oh, you of little faith. Even after his resurrection, he said to two who walked with him on the road to Emmaus, how foolish you are, how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Luke 24, verse 25. Sadly, this is us at times as well. Even as believers, we are 
slow of heart to believe all. That little phrase, just get it in your mind. Slow to believe all. What do we do? Well, we pick and choose. That's what we do. We pick and choose what we deem worth obeying and just kind of discard the rest. As though Christ could be right in some areas and wrong in others. The arrogance of it all should shame us. To think that we, as mere men, could possibly know more and understand best how to direct our lives than the God who made us. You want to know God? Then take a close look at his son, Jesus Christ. For what you find in him, you will find in God the Father, and what you do not find in him will be absent from the Father as well. Christ is the revealer of God. In fact, this is so much the case that Jesus can and does make this remarkable statement in Matthew 11, verse 27, no one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son. And those, he goes on to say, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. I don't think our Arminian brethren would love that verse, but there it is. The choosing to know God is up to God. This is quite clear. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. We discover here that there is a mutual relationship between God the Father and Christ his Son. And Jesus is saying in this text, only God is big enough to understand me. Only God is sufficient to explain me and define me and to direct me. There's no bigger knowledge than the knowledge of God No one has ever been his counselor. No man has ever discovered something apart from God knowing it already. We learn. God does not learn. We discover. God discloses. We search to know. We study to find out. God already comprehends. God knows all things. We are sometimes startled and amazed at what we learn. God is never taken by surprise for he already knows the beginning from the end. And Jesus says that no one knows the Son except 
the Father. We're ready to accept that since God, we think, and the scripture teaches, God knows all things. So we will accept that. No one knows the Son except the Father. Having said that, what we are not so ready to accept is Jesus' claim in the second phrase, no one knows the Father except the Son. While men might concede the point that God the Father knows all things, because as the one who precedes all things, his knowledge comes from the top down, men are not as willing to accept Jesus' exclusive claim that no one knows God the Father except him, because from their viewpoint, such knowledge of Jesus, like their own, is coming from the bottom up. So how can the scriptures say, no one knows God the Father except Jesus? But this is the very crux of the problem, isn't it? There's no greater claim for someone to make than to claim that they know God. But what is unique to Jesus is his claim that no one knows God except him. And note, he does not say, no one knows God as well as I know him. He does not say, no one knows the Father except me. So this is not a statement of comparison to what others know of God. It is rather a statement of exclusivity. Jesus is the only one who knows God without distortion, without limitation, writes C.S. Lewis in his book. And our Lord is saying that he knows God as well as God knows God. Wow. That means his is an exhaustive knowledge. And it is exhaustive because he's not simply one among many who knows God. But he is the one apart from the many. His knowledge of God is not acquired but innate inborn because he is identical to the father in every way eternality and infinity and whatever attribute you want to lay out there about god also applies to his son the lord jesus like father like son and consider the humbling truth not only does jesus know god the father but he goes on to say Get this, no one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Oh boy. Now we're coming into deep water. Matthew 11, verse 27 and following. Now please that there's no period after the first statement, no one knows the Father 
except the sun. If there were a period there, that would be the end of our humanity, and in particular for you and me, the end of our salvation. I mean, what is, what is salvation anyway? Is it not coming to know God? Jesus did not come into our world to make our darkness darker. Or to emphasize that our spiritual ruin is just hopeless. He came to share what he knows of God. He came to reveal God. He came to tell a fallen world that a holy and just God has decreed to love it and to call from it a people who are destined to become sons and daughters in his kingdom. This revelation is given by the only one competent and sufficient enough to disclose it, and that is Jesus Christ, God's very own son. Again, Lewis makes this observation. Consequently, he writes, even from the distance set up by our creatureliness and our sinfulness, we may know the infinite, eternal, and holy God in Jesus Christ and through Jesus Christ with the knowledge Christ himself has of God. He mediates to us a knowledge of God that is as authentic as his own, though not as exhaustive as his own. Such knowledge is a given thing. It's given now as then by the risen Jesus. And it is given still to the little children in Matthew 11, verse 25, and the weary and burdened, Matthew 11, verse 28. All this disclosure by way of Jesus teaching ministry, Jesus taught about God the Father through his words and his doctrine and the miracles which evident his authority. Now second, consider that in Jesus' teaching ministry, he made some very startling statements and revelations about himself which depict the Father in him and he and the Father, which, when analyzed, bring us into a better comprehension of who and what God is. And I am referring to the I am statements of John's Gospel, seven in all, in which Jesus says, I am the bread of life, I am the light of the world, I am the door of the sheep, I am the good shepherd, I am the resurrection and the life, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And finally, I am the true vine. Now, we're going to look at each one of these in turn in the weeks to come. But before doing so, consider the origin and the background of that expression 
I am. It's unique. It first appears in Exodus 3, where Moses was attracted to a burning bush that was not consumed. It just sat there and burned and burned and burned. And as, a Mos- as Moses approached this site, a voice commanded him, don't come any closer. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. After disclosing to Moses that it was God speaking to him, <coughs> and that he was commissioning Moses to go to Egypt to secure the release of his people from Pharaoh. Moses wanted to know how to answer the people if they asked, well, what's the name of the God who sent you? To this God replied, I am who I am, This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Wow, what a weird, from our viewpoint, title is that? Is this just double talk? I am what I am. Is this expression God is telling his people something about himself that is designed to calm their hearts and to trust his word through Moses? Notice he does not say, I am this or I am that. But simply, I am who I am. God is saying that he is not shaped or defined by anything outside of himself. He is the independent God who is eternal in nature, ever-present and on the scene. Not I was, not I shall be, but I am right here and right now. I am always in the present. I am always right here. I am always right now meaning I am never obsolete I am never outdated I am I have never in a state of growing or becoming no I don't become I don't evolve into something yet future I am always in the present. You don't know a God like that. The nations don't know a God like that. We know a God like that. This self-contained, self-defining, self-conditioned God can be to his people all that he wants to be, everything they need him to be. He stands ready and able not unprepared, not impotent, within the covenant relationship that God has established with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Jacob's name being Jane to Israel, God was saying to the Israelites, 
all that I am, I am for you. He was putting himself at the complete disposal of his people. Israel in Egypt had thought that God had somehow abandoned them. Not hardly. Not hardly. They had ever been in the watchful care of God. In his words, let me read it for you. I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. And so I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of that land. Exodus 3, verse 7. And verse 15 indicates that this epic name used by God was to be, I'm reading scripture, forever the name by which I am to be remembered from generation to generation. Here it is. Here's how God wants us to refer to him. Now the Hebrew for this name, I am, is Yahweh. Yahweh. Yehovah. Yehovah. Jehovah. It's always translated in English versions of the Bible by the name Lord with all the letters in uppercase. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. Yahweh, Lord. Israel's God, indeed the only God there is, was the Lord by name, and I am by nature. Sometimes the name is found in the Bible in various I am formulas, such as I am Jehovah, or I am God, and there is none else, or I am the Lord, or simply I am He. None of this is mere rhetoric. God throughout scriptures, and particularly in Isaiah, stands before his sinning people to confront them and to challenge them and to say, in effect, stop what you're doing, turn away from your idols, look to me, come to me fully, for all that I am, I am for you. Isaiah put it this way, Isaiah 45, verse 5. I am the Lord. There's no other. Apart from me, there is no God. That is pretty definitive, don't you think? So he is God revealing. See, now that I myself am he, there is no God beside me. I put to death and I bring to life. I have wounded. I can heal. I, no one can deliver me, deliver out of my hand. Deuteronomy 32, verse 39. 
Not only is he God revealing, he is God saving. Isaiah 43, verse 25. I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remember your sins no more. He is God judging. Ezekiel 33, verse 29. Then they, speaking of wayward Israel, will know that I am Jehovah, the Lord, when I have made the land a desolate waste <coughs> because of all the detestable things they have done. Brethren, God is throwing down the gauntlet. He's calling on his people to find a better God if you can. And he's provoking them to repent and to return to him and to worship him alone. This brings us then to the I am statements of Jesus. And there are many. What great significance his name had to Israel. And it has no less relevance to us as Christians. To Moses, God said, All that I am, I am for you. But in Jesus, God's Son, God was saying it again, for wrapped up in his Son is all that God was for Israel, the revealer, the Savior, the God worthy of worship, the judge who is to come. All those things. Now what a shock to Jesus' Jewish listeners to hear him take to his own lips the most sacred of the names of God in their scripture and apply it to himself. Oh. To call himself Yahweh, Jehovah, the I am who I am, who was and is and ever shall be, you have to appreciate their consternation, even if we must condemn their unbelief. But that was a hard pill for the Jews to swallow. The text in John 8, here Jesus employs a number of I am statements, which meaning escape the comprehension of his hearers. Let me give them to you. You are from below. I'm from above. You are of this world. I'm not of this world. I told you that you will die in your sins if you do not believe that I am the one I claim to be. And you will die in your sins. John 8, verse 23. And again in verse 28, he told them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, referring to his cross, then you will know 
that I am Now we might think that Jesus here is just, uh, he's just using the pronoun I and the verb to be in the common way in which we would use them together. And so the Jews are not to be folded for their misunderstanding. But what? There are indicators within the text that show that he was speaking of himself on a distinct plane. For example, he said that he was from above. While his listeners were from below. That's different. He was claiming a higher order for himself and challenging his hearers to acknowledge him as the divine. The divine I am within their midst, apart from whom there will be no salvation for them. Instead, they will perish in their sins. In the second statement, Jesus states that when they crucify him, then they will know his true identity, not simply, of course, in his death, but in what is to follow in terms of resurrection and ascension and session. And neither of these I am statements were the Jews convinced of his deity, nor did they catch on that he was claiming deity. And so, as the conversation continued, and they got into a discussion of ancestry in which the Jews claimed Abraham as their father. Supposing that using that connection to suggest that they were the people of God by natural birth. And when they did that, Jesus went back to his discussion of God as his father. And they retorted by saying, well, Abraham is our father. And Jesus replied, your father, Abraham, Rejoice at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. John 8, verse 56. You are not yet 50 years old, the Jew said to him, and you, <laughs> you have seen Abraham? Jesus says, I tell you the truth. Jesus answered, Before Abraham was born, I am. And the scripture says, 
they picked up stones to stone you. Oh boy. What they missed in Jesus' first two statements, they got this time. Now, they got it. They realized now that Jesus was taking the name of Jehovah to himself and claiming to be the eternally present one, their Lord, their God. Jesus has always been the revealer and the revelation of God. And they could not accept it. All that Jehovah had been to Israel in the Old Testament, Jesus was to them in the New. There's hardly a more dramatic and decisive moment for Jesus' listeners than this one in John 8. God was standing among them, their Savior, their Lord. How were they going to respond? They counted Jesus as a blasphemer and picked up stones to take his life. They were standing on holy ground like Moses before the burning bush. But instead of removing their sandals, they trampled underfoot the revealer of God and looked for stones to hurl at the one who said, I am stands among you. What a reception for Jesus' beginning ministry. Now what do we learn? Number one, God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit, while being distinct persons, are nonetheless one God in essence or nature, and Jesus is the physical manifestation of God on earth, come to reveal God to us. And undoubtedly, when we think of God, there's mystery here. Of course. We do not know God. In our search to find God, we often look for him in all the wrong places. Man has tried religion to find God. But alas, religion is not God. And God is not found in the religions of the world. You may think that the Muslims are at least on the right track because of their monotheism, but Allah is not the God of the Bible, and the Koran is not God's word, as is evident from its teachings which contradict the Bible.
the idle concepts of God as believed and practiced by the nations of the world are nothing less than a rehearsal of the same idolatry which plagued Israel in its history as it adopted the Baals and the Ashtaroth poles and Molech and Dagon and a host of other man-made deities by people ignorant of God. The nations were in the dark, but Israel was not. And the nations are in the dark today, but willfully so. For Christ has come. And the eternally present one is here. That Jehovah Witness who shows up at your door would be horrified if you told him that Jesus is Jehovah for they see no deity in him. Like the Jews of Jesus' day, they would consider such a statement to be blasphemous. Yet Jesus' claim is valid. And my point is this. If you want to know what God is like, if you want to become a disciple of God, take a look at Jesus, not the religions of the world. The religions of men are full of error, superstition, idolatry, and denial. Inventions. But the real Jesus, let me read it for you, right from the Bible. Jesus is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. Hebrews 1, verse 3. What's the author saying? He's saying when you're looking at Jesus of the Bible, you're looking at God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. You're not going to find it any different. What about this second statement? Jesus says, No one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. So not only will you not find God in the religions of the world, you will not find God unless Jesus Christ chooses to reveal Him to you. Even my preaching, which seeks to exalt Christ and to teach you of Christ, will be of no benefit to you unless Jesus is merciful to you. Some squirm in their seats at the preaching of the exclusive claims of Jesus. Others fall asleep. Others doodle on the back of the bulletin or they write notes or fill out business forms, whatever. Some protest inside their heart whenever we declare that every religionist in the world, from Catholics 
to liberal Baptists do not know God apart from repentance from sin and faith alone in Jesus. And all of this, either singularly or collectively, is evidence that Christ has not revealed God the Father to them. You need to be serious about the exclusive claims of Jesus. He's not one of many ways to God. He is the way. He's not part of the answer. He is the answer. There isn't truth to be found about God in all the religions of the world. No one knows God the Father except Jesus, his Son. And so you and I are beholden to Jesus Christ if we would come to know God because the God who is, is his own Father, period. Who best would know his father except the son? I have no misgivings in my family relationship. If I were to say, the one that knows me best in our family, the Luke family, would be my son. My girls, too. The idea of the siblings would know what dad is like. If Donna were still around, I would say, she knows me best. You want to know what God is like? Study the Son. Hear the words of the Son. Finally, for us as believers, Jesus Christ, by taking to himself the title Yahweh, is saying to you and to me, all that I am, I am for you. We have an expression which we apply to our friends and it goes like this. Well, my friends are there for me. Hmm. This may very well be true of your friends, but consider the limitations of such friends. They do not know, as God knows, they do not love unconditionally as God does. They have not the power of God to help you in your hour of need. They do not have the resources of God at their disposal. They don't even care as God cares.
The limitations are those of a creature. God has no limitations. The Creator has no limitations. Yeah, when we go to outside sources, when we go to human friends, to human counsel, to human wisdom, to live our lives, it's an insult to God to be sure. But more importantly, it is to ingest hamburger when you could be eating filet mignon. Raise your kids on Dr. Spock, Dr. Lyndon Johnson, and they will go to hell. Build your marriage on Dr. Joyce Brothers and Dr. Ruth, and it will end in divorce. Work your job according to the ethics of the Optimistic Club, and you will be laid off or fired. Trust your sexuality under the playboy philosophy of Hugh Hefner and you will not enter the kingdom of God. Believe the rhetoric and the propaganda of Planned Parenthood and you will become an advocate and maybe a participant in murder. Oh, did you hear this week? Governor Newsom California has established a law, a law for the unborn and the born if the parents did not want the child unborn and yet it is birthed, becomes born now we have a live child living outside of the womb. They may choose to have that child put to death. The one outside the womb. So California is opening its doors, publicly acknowledging if you want an abortion and you don't want any hassle about it, come to California and we'll take care of you. Pattern your life after the Hollywood stars and you will share their condemnation. Educate your mind by the philosophy of Eric Fromm, Karl Barth, Marx, Mao, any more of these pagan philosophers, and you will become a fool. As children of God, <laughs> called out of the world of ignorance and superstition and darkness, we're to walk in the light of Jesus Christ, the great revealer of God. All that he is, he is for you. He brings all of the resources, the empathy, the knowledge, 
the power, the love of God to your aid. How could you ever think of going to other feeble sources? You do your heart, your mind, your family great harm by being less than totally devoted to the Savior who is to us. Let me read it for you. Wisdom from God, our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 30. That's who Christ is. Wisdom from God, our righteousness, holiness, redemption. You are in the trouble you are in with your, within your families because Jesus Christ does not occupy his rightful place in your life. Other things have taken his place. Sinful substitutes have replaced the eternal I am. And you need to repent and come back to God with all of your heart and all of your strength in all of your mind. He's knocking at the door of your heart, Christian. Will you open the door and invite him to eat at your table? Once again. For you that do not know Christ as Savior. How's it going with you eating the husk of the pig trough? When? You could go to the Father's house and have a sumptuous meal. Wonderful cloak put around you to keep you warm. Place of honor at the seat in the Father's house. Boy, the world and Satan has sold us a bill of goods, I'll tell you. You know what this world is? Flashing lights, little baubles here and there. Look at this. Look at this. Isn't this wonderful? <sighs> They're glass beads. That's all they are. Just glass beads. Hit them with a hammer, and you'll find out what they're worth. Try to trade them at a store, you'll find out what they're worth. The diamonds are found in Christ. He's the crown jewel. Lord, give us hearts to seek the real, real gem 
of salvation. We have a Savior that paid all the dirt in our lives. He paid to have it all washed away. In Christ, we are clean. We're pure white. We're not dirty anymore. We're forgiven. We're cleansed. The sin is dealt with. And once it's dealt with, it's dealt with. We have a Savior that came from glory to earth in obedience to his Father so that he could step in and take our place. Thank you for doing that, Lord Jesus. Thank you for loving us in that way. Give us a heart of faith to believe and a heart to repent of our sin. Make us anew in yourself, in yourself by the power of the Holy Spirit, in whose name we give thanks. Amen. Our closing hymn is 521 in Trinity. That's the red hymnal. (coughs) I love this hymn. I even love the title of this hymn. My hope is built and we'll complete it then Jesus blood righteousness let's stand as we sing Of his covenant and his blood.
our God and Father, the hymn writer, got that message right. If we're trusting in any other thing than Jesus Christ and his work at the cross for our salvation, we are standing on sinking sand. I watched a stroll just this week about people that went down to the shoreline and they got stuck in quicksand. And they had to be helped out. They could not retract themselves. So the hymn writer has it right. If we trust in anything other than the sufficiency we find in the Lord Jesus Christ, we're standing on quicksand and we're going down, down, and down. But praise God, there is salvation. In the sovereign strength and sustenance of our God. He had provided for us salvation in his Son. Please, O oh Lord, help us to receive it, to believe it, and to live our lives accordingly. In Christ's name, amen. We are dismissed. I didn't even know where you were going on this. I'm t I was totally lost. Yes.